Hello and welcome to the Undecided State of Being podcast. I'm your host, James Dring, and today we're doing another episode of Ordinary Wisdom, and we're talking today with Adam Oldfield, the owner, operator, and founder of FPM3 and other companies. Uh, Adam got his start at Y95 Radio doing promotions after uh, graduating from radio broadcast journalism at uh, Mohawk College, and currently he also teaches at Mohawk, first-year students in sales and marketing, and is also a regular host of the Tech Talk on the Global Radio Network. Um, as you know, uh, Ordinary Wisdom is about taking interesting people and talking with them and asking them 10 different questions about life lessons they've learned, what's made them successful, and the mindset that they bring to the table. So without any further ado, welcome Adam Oldfield. Hey, James, thank you. Great to be here. Great introduction. I like that. <laughs> founder, what would you introduce me as? I'm the a founder, founder, owner, and operator of F. Wow, man, that's a lot. I'm hearing that and I'm like, wow, this guy sounds like he's busy. Okay, but I guess that's me. Yeah, that, that, that would be pretty much I it. I wanted to open by saying Adam Oldfield, the man, the myth, <laughs> the musical. But I just didn't know if people would really understand what I was going with. I don't think anyone would know what the song would sound like if it had to be associated with me. I don't even know what that would be. If it would be a Beastie Boys, if it would be a Peter Gabriel, uh, it could be maybe just some soft music of Beethoven to kind of give that feeling of a, of aggression and yet softness. I like keep hearing Lionel Richie in the background. Oh, yeah. Why? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> is that the one you're thinking about? I, mean, I just called. <laughs> oh, wait. Is that Lionel Richie? No, no it's, it's not. Stevie Wonder. Okay, well, there we go. So. I was going to say, well, thanks. You got me mixed up with the wrong guy and yeah, the wrong I song. I, I didn't say I was the knowledgeable one. You're the knowledgeable one. That's Thank why you. That's interview smartly. <laughs> well, thanks for the pedestal. Allow me to just take a seat up here. Yeah, this is good. All right, so Adam Ophiel, I've got yes. 10 questions for you. We'll okay. start right away. Okay. Um, the first question, and I tried to write these down as things that I, I thought would, uh, my readers, my listeners would find interesting. And I, I, I thought... What drew you to building your own business? What was it that, that created the impetus for that? Uh, you know what? It, ironically, I, I want to think that it was nervousness of getting fired. And uh, I think it came down to I was a couple things. Nervousness of being fired. In the radio industry, uh, I, was, I was present at a very young age. At the, uh, I was very fortunate to be in radio at a young age. And I was around a lot of legends in radio. Uh, you know, and, and, and James, you've, I've known you a while. I was never really a musical radio guy. It was just kind of like uh, how I got into radio was wanting to be in computers, uh, I wasn't educated enough to go to Wilfrid Laurier or a coding program uh, like some of my friends. Uh, I took a radio broadcasting course because there were no exams and it was 900 bucks. And while I was in radio, I'm like, I'll just burn it away, have a great time, no exams, go to the Arnie at the time, which was the bar in uh, Mohawk. Uh, I realized that there were 65 Walter Cronkites in a room and I was the only one that knew how to use a computer. So, you know, I start that with my segue of, well, why would you, you know, open your business, as you say, is when I got into radio, I was there not even a year. And while I was sitting at a desk, 65 people got fired. And it was uh, the Black Tuesday, if you will. And it was a very, very... Uh, 
it was very scary. I mean, they, you didn't know if you were being fired. Police officers would walk in. And in my department where I was, there was eight people. When they were done, there was two. Me as the junior. And uh, uh, there was a young lady who was uh, sort of a marketing uh, assistant administrator. And there we were, uh, you know, at the age of 20, I think it was 21, maybe turning 21. I was now in charge of a number one FM station and an, a, a, a 75-year-old AM station. And so that's sort of made me go, you know, and they got rid of people who had 40 years in the business, 30 years. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to be that. I don't want to be one day waking up, coming in 60 years old or 50 years old, 40 years old, and somebody saying your time's up. So that was my one thought. How do I uh, how do I be self-sufficient that I make the decision? Um, and then the other reason was that, um, you know, I wanted to give myself a raise. And every time I kept wanting to, to earn more, I always felt it was always hitting a brick wall. Well, you know, it's not performance time. We'll have to take a look. It's going to be, we'll have to evaluate. We're going to look, well, our numbers aren't there. Whatever. I, I mean, we've all been there. We sat and said, I want to make more. I feel like I, I, I deserve more. I've worked hard. I've earned more. Not just deserve, deserves the wrong word. And, and I realized in business, you have two things. One, you can't fire yourself. And two, you make as much as you possibly want to. So when the time came, it was uh, uh, it was a real, actually, nerve-wracking decision. And I probably, looking back, think to myself, I made wrong timing, right timing. Uh, just had my first child. Uh, I was married, my first marriage. We had just bought a house. And I left with very little money in the pocket, uh, risked it all, and I was... Uh, I have to say it was I was scared going, what do I got to lose? If I fail, I'll go get a job. I'm, I'm employable. I was 26 years old when I started uh, opening my business. And I thought, well, I'm young enough. If I if I don't make it, I can probably get employed. Um, well, here I am today, 16 years later. And uh, you know what? Uh, yay on me for doing it. But it's been not without its trials and tribulations, but it was really those two principles that forced or got me into the mindset of I don't want to be fired and I want to make my own decisions how much I get paid. Whether I don't make any money at all, I want it to be my choice, not someone else's determination to say you're worth this much. I wanted to pick that. 16 years in the past and yet so relevant right now because when you look at the workspace that young people are in right now, the likelihood of them retiring in a company, yep. very minimal. Benefits, minimal. Precarious nature of work, high. Yep. Um, contract work, no pensions, no loyalty from companies towards the employee to keep them around. Uh, and so, if anything, it's kind of like you realized way earlier, generations literally earlier, <laughs> that in the future, you need to be self-sufficient, at least on the side, the minimum, in order to kind of create the life you want so you can hedge your bets that you might not have that job that you thought was rock solid tomorrow. Yeah, I think a lot of it was, uh, I think throughout my entire life, I've always determined, or maybe I learned at a very young age, that I had to be the one to determine where I was going to go. They always say you get to determine your own future, you get your choices. In my case, I wanted to make sure that I got to choose where I was at all times. And truthfully, uh, like I said, the wake up call for me was being in that radio position. Uh, I remember getting hired truly 21. I got this position. It was a mid-level, I'll say a manager's role. It was called uh, a marketing or sorry, a promotions coordinator and wasn't a promotion director. That was the title that you wanted in the, in the department. And here I was at the age of 20. I got the job. 
I was surprised I got it, to be honest. And truthfully, I went for the job interview to think, I'll just get some experience, and I got the job. And uh, and I'll be honest, it was, what, 1998, 97 when I got it? And I think I was making $26,000. Uh, Today, that is a joke, but to me, I was like, oh my God, I got, a, I got a salary, I got this title, I got this prestige, and I wasn't even there eight months. And truthfully, this whole answering your question was, if I didn't see 65 people, walk out that day watching a lot of really, really decent people, um, I would say get pensions or uh, handed their packages, if you will, maybe not pensions, got their packages, your day's done. Uh, I think that fired up my, I don't want that to be me. And, and, and the only way that isn't going to happen, it took time, but the only way that wasn't going to happen is if I became my own boss. And, uh, and then I, it was, how do you become your own boss? And I didn't know I didn't know the object. I didn't know how to do it. I mean, I never even understood what it took to be my own boss. So that was sort of uh, that was sort of my first steps to the. I think I need to be my own boss, and then it sort of segued into how do I become my own boss, and then jump into it later. Well, that was actually one of the things I was going to say was, but I'll, I'll interject one of the questions earlier, which is just you know, once you determined that you were going to be your own boss, how the heck did you go about figuring out how do I do this? Uh, well, you know what, and, and <laughs> I think what happened was, as I mentioned, I realized I didn't want to be employed by a company that could right. fire me. Um, so then the next steps were, yeah, like how, how do you learn? Like, do you pick up a book and say how to start a business? And there is a lot of like what you do to be in business, like as far as success and you, you know, Tom Vu and you know, all these crazy, you could be a millionaire. You do what I do. Multi-level marketing. I mean, there was tons of people telling you how to be in business. Um, the thing they didn't tell you, tell you was exactly what it's like to be in business. So the how to be in business is the wrong way to learn. It's the, you know, the learning of the day to day roots. So what I did was while I was in radio, I used that opportunity because I got to meet in my promotions position, a lot of very successful business owners. These people were buying ads and, and, uh, and I would obviously do my promotions, come up with ideas. I was encouraged actually from my clients, um, as I would meet with them and I became friends with them. Uh, I bring them ideas. Uh, I would sometimes host their events and, you know, I was a very outgoing guy and in the process of doing this, I would, you know, ask uh, the car dealer owner, like, you know, what's it like starting your own business? What, what, you know, what do you do with it? And I could see what they dealt with day to day. And then, uh, you know, and I would deal with many business owners and I'm watching and learning from their, just from an outsider speaking to them. And uh, one of them that I, I met through radio was, uh, uh, you know, someone who talked about business and he came from Poland and, you know, he, he struggled when he got here and started with nothing as a lifeguard. And, you know, and he almost I could uh, connect with him. And so when I was looking at how do I do this, uh, I went to three people that I knew from my radio days that own businesses and I interviewed them very similar to when you were, you know, can I ask you a few questions? Um, of the three I interviewed, um, I said, I'm thinking about starting my own business. They said, I think that would be a great idea. Um, I asked them cause I didn't know, would you like to be my business partner? And you know, I'm going to need, I don't know, like I didn't even know how to raise money, but I said, uh, I think I asked for 25,000. I like, you know, uh, would you like to go in a partnership? You could be my business partner. And, and, uh, anyway, all three of them said no. And, uh, so that, that hurt. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that, no problem. Thanks. That's great. But they said, uh, but I'm saying no, because not because I don't want to be in business with you. I'm not saying no because I don't want to invest in you or be in part of that. I'm saying no because you need to do it and I will support you if you do. 
The one gentleman I, I, I literally begged, actually, the one out of the three, uh, I begged him for three months and he kept telling me, go do this and I will review it. For three months before I started my business, I did spreadsheets and he would guide me and I had to read up on it. And uh, this is before Google was as big as it was and everything else. But I would literally read up on how do you do a spreadsheet? What do you do with a balance sheet? And I would read on those basic principles. Um, and then he would try to talk me out of being in business. You don't want the problems of the government. You don't want the taxes. You don't want the people. You don't want the staff, the, the investment. I spent three solid months and then the more he tried to push me from not doing it, the more aggressive I would actually do it. So I would call him and say, I got my spreadsheets. Can you come look at it? Um, anyway, uh, my, re my, my, my advice to anyone was uh, he didn't want to do it. He was hoping to retire and I forced him to be my mentor. And I just literally became a good friend. I asked his advice. He gave me direction. Uh, and truthfully, I mean, 16 years didn't happen because I'm amazing. It was done because I had the proper advice and the proper guidance from my mentors. Uh, and I have three of them. My primary mentor, who even to this day, I meet with monthly. Uh, he tells me I'm an idiot. He treats me like, a, a, you know, the lowest of the dirt. Um, but... It brings me to the humble reality of what I have to do. I'm, you know, uh, I'm a successful failure. If I, if anyone says, "Well, you look like you're successful," I'm the biggest failure you ever know. Uh, the reason I'm still here is because I got proper guidance and that mentorship and that, you know, it's kind of like having a dad or a mom or whatever. You have to have a parent to help you uh, be accountable to yourself. And as much as there's some. Let's say they can do it. I don't think anyone can. And uh, so I looked to him as a as an uncle, uh, you know, to give me, you know, crap, you know, reality, you know, like, who do you think you are? That's not the right way. Why would you go spend your money that way? Whatever. So uh, my success is based on that. And and truthfully, uh, without that guidance, without that that knowledge and without that information, I, I wouldn't be successful today. So the act of them turning you down and kind of instead saying, go do it. If they just said, yeah, and throw money at you, would you have been as successful as you've been? No, not at all. I would have failed faster than I ever so could have what, imagined. What you got in return instead was a real mentor. So, and then that's a good, that's a good piece of advice for anyone looking to start out. It's, it's not about getting financial backing. A lot of businesses can start with almost no money. Yeah. But do you have the right people in place to teach you what you don't know? and point you in the direction of a good book or a great podcast that you need to listen to or here, learn these principles. Yes. You know, if you learn these principles and practice them daily, then you'll be able to kind of take what you know then and start putting towards whatever you want to do. Yeah, I would say that even to this day, I have yet, and I've been teaching, as you brought up earlier, like Mohawk College, I've been teaching in the college program, I've been involved in a lot of workshops and, and education things. I have yet to see a program that truly teaches the art of being in business, a startup business, a small business. There is not a program yet today that can be able to accomplish that. And I'll tell you why. is because nobody can actually teach you what the emotional turmoil you go through. No one can sit in a classroom in a book and go, okay, um, you don't have any money. You're, you people owe you money. Um, and you have to pay the HST. You have to pay your payroll on Friday. Um, and you're short 7000 yeah. What do you do? Yeah. How are you going to weather that storm? How are you going to anticipate the problems? Problem solve. Right. Reach out. What resources will you move towards? All those, the the submit your application for this and do these regulations and get these financials in order. That's the stuff they teach you in school. What they don't teach you is the mindset you're going to need to stay tenacious 
when you have a low morale period. That's right. When you um, start losing confidence in yourself and you just go, well, uh, you and I have talked about what, mm-hmm. what's the niche market you're looking at? And the longer you go, I always think of it as a, as a plateau in your career. Um, imagine you're swimming out into Lake Ontario. Yeah. Right? At some point, you're swimming and you look forward and you don't see your destination. It's not clear. And you look behind you and you can't quite make out where you came from. The longer that goes on, the more likely you're going to start wondering, why am I swimming? Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and that lack, what is, what is, who's going to teach you how to dig in and not sink at that point? Right. Because those aren't skills. That's mindset. That's, yeah. the, that's someone reaching out to you saying, hey, you got to be willing to take your lumps a little bit and, and weather the storm and reach out to a mentor and seek the wisdom that they have. Um, right. So I, I can see where that, where that kind of created almost like a, the foundation of your behaviors that drove you to be more successful. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a definite uh, wake-up call. And, and truthfully, if I, if I could sit back and say, well, Adam, what would you have taken or what would you have learned today that you couldn't have? And that's why I went to mentors or successful business owners. My education, what I learned from them was everything I've gone through. And it would be the same advice that I would give if someone sat with me today and said, I'm starting up a business. You know, Adam, could you, you know, give me $5,000? I'd be like, you know, first of all, the money means nothing. Who are you as a person? Yeah. Like I always ask that question. Who are you as a person? What are you ready to go through? What do, tell me your experiences to what you've uh, gone through in the past. You know, what's your family situation? I mean, so many factors play into uh, a, a successful business and, and whether someone's going to be in business and successful, I would say is determined based on, yeah, money could keep anything going until it runs out. But a lot of it is on your mindset, as you described. If, you're, if you've got so many things pulling at you in different directions, uh, family, uh, stress, uh, debt, uh, you know, where are you at any given time in those positions, it could, all of it could be equal to a failure. doesn't just come because of one reason. It's, right. it, it happens in all sorts of uh, uh, reasons and, and, you know, despair, depression, challenges, and then keeping your morale up because when you're in business, you got to keep it up to your clients. You got to keep it up to your suppliers. You got to keep it up to your staff. That confidence, right? That exactly. You, uh, there's that old uh, commercial, never see, let them see you sweat. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Um, but that, that idea of like, yeah, I might be going through crazy chaos inside. Right. I need to show to the world that I can confidently move forward right. despite any challenge or setback that might come. And I think that's when, when people talk about um, taking a problem and turning it into an opportunity and seeing it as an opportunity, so almost welcoming the challenges and the failures. Yep. It's not like you want to bring it on like a magnet, yep. but at the same time, you're, you're comfortable enough going, I've weathered storms before, I'll figure this out. Yeah, I think I would say that the difference between Adam today and Adam 16 years ago is that I am a lot less, uh, how shall I say, uh, emotional in my decisions, which would factor in the success or failure of what I go. Sometimes I wish I had more energy in the same way I would tackle a problem. However, today I'm a lot wiser in knowing how I would handle a problem. Uh, There isn't anything I don't think I've encountered in my 16 years that I could sit back now and say, geez, is that going to, you know, is that going to cause a problem to you? And I'd be like, nope, I pretty much can handle that. So I've, I've gone, you know, as I think I shared with you, I've had the successes financially. Uh, I've lost everything. I, you know, I'm building it back up again. So, I mean, as far as like what I deal with every day, it's, it's a matter of that is the education in itself. And, and, you know, I've got a $2 million college education, university education, and that's being in business. And that's what I've lost and learned in my, in my time. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's well, real world experience kind of trumps almost any other type of learning, right? That's right. Yeah, book absolutely. Books are wonderful, but if you can apply those book starts, uh, book smarts to real experiences, that's what makes the difference, right? Correct. I, I myself have worked with people that had far higher educations than I did, yet at the same time I knew the job better than them. Right. It's just because I happened to be doing the job and I'd gone through and learned all the ups and downs and made enough mistakes myself that I learned from it. So, all right. Is that you that's or me? In the background, that's you. <laughs> Sorry, that's phone number seven. No worries. Well, we'll let that play out while we we'll ask the next question. So this is great. We got good background <laughs> music going on. Sorry so, about that. When did you know that you'd reached the threshold of breaking through success? Uh, I haven't. Okay. I haven't. Um, honestly. Did it come in like? Did you have those little moments in between, or did, has it never really felt like you really broke through? The no, it has not. I has not felt like I've broken through. And if I look back, and again, if you asked me ten years ago, uh, you know that exact same question, I'd be like, "Oh, when I landed that contract, uh, or uh, you know, when we uh, managed to do, you know, move to a bigger office, or I got to hire more people." Uh, now I look back and go, "That was, you know, ridiculous." What I said. You know, if I, you know, was my, my home nicer, was my, you know, I got a pool or, you know, I mean, they're all gone. I mean, if I look back and said, that was success. Okay. Well, where is it today, Adam? It's, it's not there anymore. So, you know, so was it a short term, would you call that a success or that's why I refer? It's funny you say that because that's why I call myself a successful failure through every success I've made. I failed. And, you know, where I had a beautiful home by the uh, escarpment, I had a beautiful pool, I had nice cars, I had multiple offices, I have none of that. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's all gone. I mean, from a staff or a full crew of 65 people and putting on a million dollar concert, and you could say, well, what that would be a success. I'd be like, no, it was an accomplishment, but it wasn't a success. And what happened afterwards was I lost $200,000 doing that. Mm. Now, to someone might be like, wow, that was a great party. Uh, could you afford it? And I'm like, well, at the time, yes, but today 200 grand would sure come in handy um, to where I would be. So, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I look at stories even to this day, I hear things like Warren Buffett still lives in his house from 1958. I hear all these guys that are multi-billionaires that are given half their wealth away, and yet they still live in the same environment or the same you know, driving the same Volkswagen. They're still driving whatever the vehicle they are. It's like the wealth has kept them humble. It is, yeah. In my case, I let it explode and go to my head. I mean, I literally thought I am invincible. And, you know, in my first eight months, we literally broke almost 800 grand. By year two, I broke a million. By year four, I was already at three and a half million, three and a half million dollars. And I mean, like, that was too quick, too fast for someone at the age of 29 to be making that kind of money and not knowing how to be responsible with it. And uh, what I didn't factor in is that, you know, again, uh, you know, recession, timing, client, clients, I thought were just going to keep coming. What I forgot was they're going to go. And, you know, they're going to they're going to close. They ran into financial problems or they just chose we're not fit to continue to do business with them. They, you know, new owners come in or, you know, like all the big accounts I lost either went bankrupt or were bought out. And uh, I ended up in this position where uh, I didn't replenish that and I didn't replenish it with the level of what I was. So it was a big uh, reality for me to go, wow, look at me. I'm successful. Not really, because I didn't 
you know, prepare properly. And I, I, I overspent. I didn't plan properly. Uh, my efforts and energy went into the wrong things. Uh, and then in the recession period, when we got hit in 2009, I mean, I literally went from money in the bank on Monday to owing almost a million dollars in five days. Right. And, uh, you know, when you look back and say, I don't know if that's one of your questions, what would you do differently now than you would then? I should have bankrupt myself. I really should have. I had too much uh, pride and too much, uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, I look at my company was, it was like a child to me. And I, I truly, I threw my first marriage away. I didn't want to give up on my, I don't want to fail. And right. I think I had the, it's 800 grand. I made 3.2 million. I could pay that off. <laughs> and I did. I mean, I negotiated hard. I mean, I went through three years of literally living in a bachelor uh, apartment and running a business, employing Truthfully, like I didn't need to employ eight people, but somehow I managed to say I'm going to cut my wage down to $20,000 and, you know, I'm not giving this up and I'm going to fight for it until it tells me it can't happen anymore. And so I cashed RSPs, I sold everything and uh, you know what, I, there's a little bit of me going, you really should have just closed it. And then the, there's another part of me that says you existed today because you did fight through it. Part of my worry about... Um you know, we have kids. Yeah. Uh, part of my worry is that we live in the age of Instagram pretty. <laughs> and, and, and I call it like the age of the facade. Yeah. Right? And that doesn't, you know, you look on Instagram and people, and I'm on Instagram, you're on Instagram, uh, people show the world what they want to be seen. Yeah. And obviously there's people like that look like they're living the life of, of Jesus. Like they've yeah. got billions of dollars and there are Lamborghinis and porches <laughs> and beaches everywhere and beautiful men and women everywhere and, and you know bodies to die for Greek right. gods and I always wonder what are they doing to shore up their mentality and their behaviors that if something happens and things don't go quite their way what will they do can they then take that trauma that happens to their life and will it break them or will they kind of find a way to adapt to it and I think that the, if there's a lesson you can pass on is, is that, you know, you've seen those times where you're like, I'm living the life that I wouldn't have imagined 20 years ago. Yeah. And now, you, 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 now you're in the moment of almost being like a phoenix rising from the ashes, rebuilding things with a hell of a lot more of experience and wisdom behind you driving it. So in, in the moments where you, where you feel like I haven't quite hit that breakthrough moment of success... Do you find that part of that is what also drives you then? It's like it's, it's fun to chase it a bit. It is. I mean, you know what? The, the, it's like, you know, if you're hungry, what do you do? You go get something to eat, right? I mean, your body says you've got to feed yourself. And I look at that as sort of what I do. I mean, what I do, I enjoy what I do. I love what, I, what I'm actively involved with. Everything you mentioned in my, in my little profile of myself, I love every single thing. I, wake, I don't wake up in the morning ever. In 16 years, have I woken up and said, I'm done. I'm, I, I hate where I am. I don't like what I do. I hope the day ends. Uh, when is it going to end? When is there a Friday? Fridays happen. I forgot it even got there. I mean, if it wasn't for my staff telling me it's payroll, I'd be like, holy smokes, it's Friday. So I have yet in 16 years doing what I do and all of the things I'm actively involved with never been in a position where I've had doubt, sad remorse of what I do. And, you know, and, and in fact, I have less of it now than I ever did. 
uh, I was driven when I was younger to say, yeah, I want the money. And then I was driven with the, holy crap, I got to survive. And now I'm at the, I just love what I do. And I do well at what I do. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's something to be said about, you know, I see people going, oh, I work 17 hours. I hate my job. But, you know, I'm making so much money doing what I do. I'm in the boat mindset of like, you know what? I work long hours and I love what I do. You know, I love it. doesn't feel like work then. No, it's not. I mean, I literally wake up every day and I do, I do what I love the most. And I, it's a hobby. It's a passion. It's a, you know, I got my problems. Don't get me wrong where I'm like, oh my God, this is driving me crazy. But I have never, never had that problem where I can talk to so many people saying I'm making half a million, hundred thousand, whatever. And they go, oh, I hate what I do. I want to do something else. And I'm like, I'm really, I'm sad for you. That's horrible. I, I hate to be that because I remember being that when I was employed going, oh man, am I getting fired today? I hope I don't, I hope I don't mess up or I'm getting a See, performance when, when review. You, when you're working for someone else, you're working to make their dreams come true, not yours. Well, so. and, and you know, and, and maybe that's part of it, but I also look at it as I try to make the environment, my staff work within me, within it with me is to say, what can I do for you guys? Because I also I think one of the abilities that I've been able to do in my uh, profession, pro- professional profession, is that in the successes I'm going to refer to, the reason I'm still here is because the people that have stuck it out and work with me, and I've got a few that have been with me more than five years, is that I always encourage them uh, to, you know, don't make this my business. This is your business. If I died today and the benefit of my business, the size that it is, I said, what would happen to this company? Right. I mean, you all do a job. I'm really not that great at what I do. I have a great crew that do it. So I always push them to let them feel it is their company. And, you know, because I say if I knocked off today, where would you guys go? Well, I think that that comes down to the idea of what real empowerment is. Real empowerment isn't just giving someone the authority to do things. It's making them feel like they've got a real investment in and personal investment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then they feel empowered to kind of make decisions, move forward, have a bit more drive behind their actions. That's right. Because they feel like what I'm doing matters. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Making a right. difference. So I was going to ask, uh, what was the big fir- first big obstacle that you faced and how did you overcome it? But I think you kind of answered that. <laughs> um, I would yeah. say watching 65 people get fired and realizing, holy crap, I got to figure out a different game plan here. And then having to go out in the world and try to figure, how do I make this idea yeah. manifest itself physically in the world? Actually, that wasn't really the big one. The answer for me, no, no. The answer was going to the point of the, the life cycle of my business. The big thing for me that I, I could sit back and go, wow, uh, is when we hit that recessionary period and, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, moment of what do I do? I think really I would say the, mo- the biggest accomplishment I would feel proud about is that I did take $800,000 and that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a lot of money. And, um, and trust me, I'm telling you, it's a lot of money. Um, and I managed to negotiate down and I worked very hard and, and being able to sustain a business, keeping, uh, we went from 65 to six people, uh, six people gainfully employed, um, you know, and then be able to take that amount and in a matter of five years, dwindle it down to like nothing. Um, so that would be the, the big if I could look back and go, wow, that was a game changer for me. That also opened my eyes to when you get there again, Adam, you're going to do it differently. Right. 
And, you know, and, and truthfully, uh, I did. I changed my whole business model completely. The agency, FPM3, I ended up closing a couple offices down. Uh, I literally had a hard look at the numbers and I said, you know, and I never did this before. It was just like, uh, I, I took it as I made 3 million, lost 200 grand. Who cares? It's 3 million, right? I didn't look at 3 million making 3 million. I took it as a total of amount. And then I looked at my own company and said, where are the biggest areas I'm making profits? Then I scrapped everything that was a loss leader and ones that caused me headache I didn't like to do. And I streamlined my business 100% and it didn't, didn't fix itself immediately. Uh, and then it made me look at other things. Then I ended up in 2015 going, you know what? I need to think even more, not only about how much can I make, how can I save? So there's two ways to make money. You earn it or you save it. And what I did was I turned the office into a... How can you make that money multiply? Right. So I did both. I started earning money, profitable, and then I cut all the costs out of the company. So what I did was I literally went paperless in 2015 and effectively as 2018, I haven't bought a box of paper, and I mean a box of paper since 2000 and, uh, 2017, spring 2017. And I'm running an agency, and that's you know including checks. That's it, like paper-wise. I think I'm down to my last uh, thousand sheets. <laughs> I, I may have to buy a box this year. <laughs> so that was a big accomplishment for me, right. and that's so I, I learned very addition, quickly. You, you, as you mentioned, you were able to positively impact the lives of other people and keep them gainfully employed. You might have had to cut staff, but yeah. You didn't cut everyone. You didn't cut your losses and, and walk away, leaving everyone else high and dry. You said you, you kind of fought through it. And because of that, there's people that are, are going, their future is far more secure because of the time that they've spent with you. Right. The minimum, the skill sets they've learned working with you. Yeah. Um, so you, you've kind of weathered that storm and kind of marched over the hill, really. Yeah, I think so. And I think we're in a much stronger position now. I mean, I look at companies uh, today. I mean, I'm still involved in companies that I'm taking on or working with right now. And I look at it and I'm like, holy smokes, it's like going back to 1950s. So I, I built such an amazing efficiency model and using technology today and, and, and how I utilize that. So that's been my biggest, you know, I could say breakthrough was if I didn't hit that recession, I probably wouldn't be as wise and as smart as I am today. And if I hit the recession as of this day, I probably would have been bankrupt. Okay. That's good. So what kind of things should a person who wants to build their own company or brand develop in regards to mindset? What's the, one of the most important things that they're going to need in place before they venture out into the world? I think this one's actually going to sound weird. I mean, but I think the first thing everyone needs to do is... Uh, it's the same thing I ask everyone when I'm in business is know who they are. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, so many people want to do this. They want to be in this business. They want to be that, you know, they want to uh, start up this company or they want to be the best sales or they want to work in radio or they want to. And I always sit back and I say, okay, those are things you want to do, but who are you? Like, and a lot of people can't tell me. Uh, well, I like long walks in the park and puppy dogs. No, that's not what you like. That's what you like. It's not who you are. Right. So uh, a lot of people take a venture into things of like, is there a need? And in the basics of business 101 is find a need, find a customer, supply the want, and you can be able to be pro uh, profitable. Just make sure your expenses don't exceed your, your revenue. And I, I kind of sit back and say, all that's garbage 
because if you don't know who you are, and I mean truly deep down inside, I can't answer it. Like if they're like, oh, I don't know what I am. What would you think I am? I don't know. That's not me to tell you. So the bigger thing I would say is a lot of people need to look at it and say, what could I learn or what would I need to do is know yourself. And when I mean, not just sit back and go, well, of course I know myself. Nah, maybe you don't. And, you know, routine, you know, routine is key, like discipline. I mean, you know, what the military teach you is how to follow and you either become a leader and you follow. And I look at uh, military as a great example of how I think business could run, but not to a perfect demand. Uh, you need some flexibility, but from a, a, th- uh, a, a control, a manage, a discipline, an independence, a capability of being able to wake up at seven in the morning and be able to be disciplined to know what you have to do. And if you're not good with, you know, tasks or lists, um, you know, create a way to, to teach that to yourself. Right. And, you know, and, and I am a horrible, horrible writer. I am a, I, I just, I cannot write clearly. I am, I, I have horrible grammar, terrible spelling. I make up words. I don't even think half of them make sense, but uh, I am a great speaker. So one of the things I did was I knew who I was and I knew my faults and my strengths and I really started to say, okay, what areas, if I'm going to do whatever the business was, the first thing I did was I hired an executive assistant and I, and some people may look at that and go, how could you do that? It's your first business. Like, uh, how do you afford that? I could not do what I do without affording it. So you, so you couldn't not afford it. I couldn't not, not afford it. Right. And so I, I found someone who was very organized, very structured, phenomenal at, at, at copywriting. And I, I got myself an executive assistant. Once I had that, I now had the skill set that required the writing and the presentation. And I would, to this day, I, I still, I voice dictate. Now, someone used to transcribe it. Now Google does it and they kind of work with it. Or I'll do a video message, uh, created a software called The Mingle. Um, that was my other reason of how can I sell myself without, you, you know, I can't write or I'll write an email and someone- I take the best of Adam and yeah. showcase it in the purple. Exactly. Who, well, if I can't write, I'm going to look like an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Or someone's going to go, wow, this grade three is sending me a note asking me to spend this much money with them. So I learned that first is who I was and I knew my, my faults and I accepted them. Then I figured out what would I do to fix it? Well, I could try and teach myself how to write and I would spend, I've been trying to do that since I was six (laughs) and I didn't do very well. So what could I do? I don't know anyone who would write your book report. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, well, you know, money speaks volumes, but I mean, at the end of the day, anyone can have it. It must be a really good friend who writes your book reports for you. <laughs> it's amazing who you can get these days, right? So there's those that can write, and, and I knew my strengths. So I would say, truthfully, to go back and, and you know, what would you, what would you look at? Know who you are, and that's, that's what I'm referring that's where to. it starts. Yeah. It's, it's, and would you say that um, when you have a well-rounded self-discovery type viewpoint of who you are, you're able then to take whatever vision you have and align it to your who you are, which means you're probably going to be more successful at it because it's more in, in alignment with what you're good at, um, what you want to avoid. Uh, in career development, what I would typically tell people is don't look at the role you want. Start talking about what environment do I want to work in? What do I want to avoid? What strengths do I have? What behaviors? What are my areas of opportunity? What are yeah. my weaknesses? What are the weaknesses that I know I need to develop that I don't mind developing and which ones do I not want to? And then go out, look at the roles that are available and say, which of these most closely resembles me? 
Right. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of that. Kind of like what you're saying is exactly that. I would say the same thing to, to you know, you hear it in general terms, get a lawyer, get an accountant, get a, you know, get a, a you know, a tax advisor or whatever, a, your investment broker, a banker, whatever. I mean, what they're doing is trying to say, maybe you don't need it. Like where I was really good, I was numbers. I was great at spreadsheets. I could, I still do. I can crush a, a spreadsheet and a heartbeat. And I can look at a, a, look at a forecast, build a cash flow, and I know how to run the numbers. And ironically, uh, I, you know, I was good at math, but I was good at simple math, not, you know, calculus or anything else. It was, you know, here's what you earned. Here's what you didn't. It's either red or black. And so I was phenomenal at those spreadsheets and those numbers and those projections. And I was able to set goals and budgets. And that's how I set my successes still do to this day is that I'm able to uh, strategically uh, think through how I can be able to make money and then how do I get the right people in place to do so. Right. So that's, uh, I mean, that's my, I guess, my success in one capacity. The other one is I'm great at sales. And that's all about people relationships. People relations or knowing what, you know, what is it you need and here's your solution. Here's what I think you could, you could do and make it work. So now as an entrepreneur, as a, as a businessman who has you know multiple different interests um what about an idea draws you to it to say this is something i want to invest my time energy and money in uh today would be uh what is the risk and what is the reward and what is the time of both so if the risk is long term if the reward is short term uh then i probably would take interest in it um using those as examples of what I would look at today. And, um, and so it really doesn't matter what the idea is so much as if it has that, those criteria, it might be something that's worth exploring. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've been always, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, James, you know me a while, and, and I've always been about the profit, right? And what fires me up is that when I make profit, it could be $5, it could be 10 cents. I did it. I turned into Scrooge McDuck and I get super excited over making 10 cents. But I just, you know, for fun, uh, you know, I would be doing this regularly with my business of like, okay, well, what did it cost? What would it, what would be the profit? And, you know, I would go online on Kijiji and I would go to the States and I would buy up these open phones. This is going back some time. I still do it randomly on some things where I'll look at that and go, I could buy that really cheap. And then what for fun, um, you know, some people go drinking, some people watch sports uh, or whatever, video games or whatever. I go on Amazon and I start making side sales. And people do this all the time now. They do. It's a living for people. And, and I, I made a lot of money back in the day from money. This is easy money. It's I'm going to buy this for five bucks, sell it for 10. That's a $5 profit. Making a right. And therefore it's exciting, right. Right. Exactly. That's that's what maybe juices me or gives me that kind of like challenges me to go. Uh, that challenges me. And then the other one I look at is what did I pay and how do I pay less next time? Uh, in my course, what I do is I, I as I mentioned, you can either try and earn more or you try and save more. I always make a habit of once a month I pick one of my bills and I call them and negotiate whether it's a credit card, whether it's my Kojiko bill, whether it's my Rogers bill. And I look at the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to say no. So nothing venture, nothing, nothing venture, nothing gain. Right. And I'll walk up to a counter sometimes. Uh, I don't do a lot of shopping, but I will walk up to a counter and I would be buying, you know, you put it on the counter. The standard way of retail is here's my items. They scan the barcodes. 
They put it in a bag, they tell you how much you walk out. What I would say is before you scan anything, is there any deals out here I need to know of? And they would always say, well, whatever's on the shelf. I'm like, no, 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 that's not my question. You're standing behind the counter. You know all the deals that are going on. What can we do here with this price? I'm about to buy. Well, I really don't have any say. Well, I know you do. You're an employee. Don't you get a discount? I mean, you look like a decent person. <laughs> I know you would buy this probably for a little less than I would. It's a particular type of personality that has the, the stones to be able to, to, to put it out there and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what I can do with this. Well, yeah. I mean, and the worst case you're going to get is no, right? right. And, uh, you know, and I see this all the Like, I negotiate my cell phone bill in the middle of a contract. And I'll negotiate it down. I'll negotiate a, an agreement I have with my internet. I took my internet from 350 to less than $149 for the same service. And I got more value for it. So, you know, what does it take? And sometimes it's not just getting a, a lesser cost. It's what more can I get for it? Do you find that um, there are times where by pushing the envelope that way and seeing what you can do, you gain some respect in other people's eyes or is it more of a begrudging kind of thing that they give it to you? It's kind of both. I think there's a bit of a, there's nothing I can do. And then, you know, like depends that you don't push them. So you don't make it sort of uncomfortable, but you do it in a jovial way to be like, okay, I'm going to, if they're older than me, I would be like, you know, like, well, you, you know, Hey uncle, they usually wear a name. Hey uncle Dale, that's great. You know, like, come on, isn't it great being a nephew, family, friend, fam, <laughs> you know, wave my hands, yeah. jazz hands and do the thing. Right. So, um, you know, I kind of, yeah, I mean, the worst case they're going to go is there's nothing I could do. Great. I'll pay the bill and move on. Cause you walk, you think about like, 1950s and 60s and someone would go like they they, it, they would say in a begrudging but very admirable way yeah oh that guy's a hard negotiator and it was a good thing right yeah and i think that in today's day sometimes the cold corporate environment is like it's thirteen dollars and fifty cents it's thirteen dollars fifty cents and you don't get that same level until you get higher up and you're dealing with the contract negotiations and those kind of things it's like at the at the street level there's there's very little wiggle room unless you're in a flea market or something. Right, right, right yeah, yeah. And yet at the same time, when it's negotiating a contract for a yeah. deal, you can come away from an executive, and that executive might go, man, Adam Oldfield is a hard negotiator, but I like that. Uh, yeah, I don't think they would say that. I think they would be like, you know, he's, he's going to try and squeeze me for everything out of him, out of it, right? Um, and I like to think to myself is sell me. I always want to be sold, but I also want to get a deal. I learned this trick from a, in my, my years of business. And the one guy, uh, you know, was never, ever buy something for face value. And, you know, I, he, it was the car dealer because I had about eight car dealers. And one of the car dealers said, if a guy came in with a briefcase full of cash and the car said it was $25,000 and they went click, click, here's 25,000. Let's say it's 27 with tax. Here's your 27,000. You never accept that money. And as much as you would say, well, that's the price, he's offering you the money, why wouldn't you? I mean, what is the problem? And I learned in my younger sales was you, never, you close the case and you say, before I accept your money, the problem I have with selling you this car right now is that I don't know what you like. And if you get in that car, you drive it home, and the first thing you do is your wife says, you got a two-seater, you have a child on the way, you know, uh, you don't have tape cassettes anymore. You like you. What, what are you doing? Like you bought a tape cassette player, right? So the windows don't roll down. Like, what are your needs? And so I think going back to the your example of like, you know, well, how much is it? This robotic environment we're in in the sales is one hundred percent right. We learned we've lost the art of the customer sale, and. 
The problem with not having that is people buy things, go home, get it, and realize that's not what I wanted. And as much as I look at it when I'm negotiating, yes, I may be negotiating, but I'm also trying to say, sell me. Right. And I always say, am I buying the right thing? Do would you? And I, I would jokingly say to them, whatever it is I would buy, a, say it was a, a sound set, a TV. I got a 40-inch TV, and I'm sitting on the counter, and I'm like putting it right there across from the girl across the, the counter from me. And, my, and I'll ask her, would you pay this price for this TV? I don't know. Oh, well, no, I mean, serious. It's your TV right now. It's $4.99. If you had the $1,000 in your pocket, would you buy this TV or would you buy something else? And why would I ask her? Because she sees 700 of them go by every day. Right, right. And she might be 23 or 27, but she hears everything happening. She knows what she likes. And she knows what she likes. So I'm going to hear two things. One, she's going to hear what other people have talked about. Number two, she's heard what people have paid for it. And she knows this one's cheaper than this one, or that one was on sale about a week ago, and it's going on sale next week because it's going to be some special. So my negotiations isn't in the retail trying to get her to give me the deal, jokingly aside using that. My whole point of that exercise is that I will find out more about that product. And sometimes the best thing to do is they'll say to me, well, I hear it's going on sale in a week. You'll probably save 70 bucks on it. That sounds awesome. Is there a way I could get that today? I don't think so. That what you're paying for is the real value where the person goes, listen, I got it myself and that is an amazing television. Right. right. I would pay for it again in a second. I don't regret ever even a dime spent on it. Right. But I, I think we've lost the art of dialogue and we've lost the art of, and, and information is truthfully still as valuable as it ever was. Not just privacy. I'm talking about, uh, like I say, they used to say the receptionist used to know everything that goes on in the business. Right. The cashier knows more about what's going on in the company than anybody else that stocks a shelf or otherwise. Yeah. And because they're the ones that deal with every customer, with every price item, with every deal that's going through. They know what's selling, what's not. And they know what's going to be on sale next week because they're the ones that have to process the coupon code. Right. So I look at them as my most valuable resource to get a discount. So I save money every time. Hmm. Okay. So you teach at a college. Yep. And, and I think we kind of touched on this, but, uh, but uh, maybe we just touch on it again, is what is something that you wish more of your students focused on developing before they leave you? Um, before they leave the actual course, yeah. you mean? Or from the, the from the training, the time with me? Uh, you know what, honestly, I, <laughs> there's, this has got nothing to do with the course itself. It's really about who they are. Uh, I think it's a matter of truthfully losing losing interest of, of respect. And when I say if they leave and, and they've left with respect, meaning I've shown up, I've handed in my assignments, um, the things I hate, I hate about college and teaching, and maybe this is in every, I don't teach everywhere else, but uh, the thing I get very frustrated over is I didn't hand it in on time, sorry I was sick, my mom has been, do, has been ill, my car got broken, whatever. Every reason in the book, and I get forced uh, in many ways to accept the late submissions. Um, and that's, unfortunately, if I could change or watch someone walk out of the classes, I would love for them to say, it's due at five o'clock and it comes in before then. And I would love for them to leave with that same mindset of, I said I'm going to be there at this time. I'm going to be there. I'm going to commit to what I say. And that has one thing that has nothing to do with sales. It's got nothing to do. Well, it does a little bit. But from an actual thing I would hope the students would walk out of is to be, uh, to be accountable for their actions, uh, to accept when things are meant to be delivered, that they live up to that 
not live up to an excuse or expect that they should be allowed to submit it before the end of the year? It's, it's um, you know, I, you and I have both probably worked with a lot of millennials yes. all the time, especially if you've been teaching. And, uh, and I've worked with a, a ton. And I would say that some of the best qualities I've ever encountered in young people is some amazing creativity, drive, ambition, passion. Like they're at their activist stage. They're, <laughs> they're ready to be idealists yes. when they're young. And one thing that they lack from, say, someone who was born and raised in the 70s and 80s and maybe early into the, into the 90s was um, the stamina emotionally to weather stress. Right. Um, that you have to develop patience uh, that your word means something. Mm -hmm. um, showing up on time is important. The attendance is the price of admission. Yeah. Um, and respect not just for yourself, but for your environment and the people around you and, and, and how far that goes. Um, and those are the intangible things that we, we aren't always kind of setting up our, our, our kids right. with, right? Yeah. Um, so when it comes down to it, 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 it does not bode well for them entering into a world where... You know, they don't know what they're getting themselves into sometimes. It, it, the world may not coddle you like you were coddled before. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the piece. I, I used to uh, say to um, some staff, all of you, because I would talk to new hires, and I think you might be able to identify with this, is I guarantee every single person who got a job at this organization, on their resume, in their interview, or on their cover letter, maybe even all those things, said something to the effect about their previous job I always met or exceeded my targets. Yep. And I always tell people, if you take no other piece of advice that I give, please take this advice, which is live up to it. Mm -hmm. Because one day you're going to come across a leader like me, and I'll call you on it, mm -hmm. and I'll fire you. Right. Because the world isn't always super fair. Right. right? As humans, we want to impose our, our, our sense of fairness on the universe. It doesn't work that way. Right. And so when we, when we have our college kids come out of university and college, are they developing a mindset of full ownership and without excuses, without justifications, you know? Um, and I'm sure that as a teacher, you, you would respect more someone to say, it's there, it's not fully done, I have a million reasons I'm not going to bother you with them. Yep. Um, yep. It, it, I would love the chance to try it again. Yeah. And... That's it. But they own it. I'll accept whatever you give me. Why? Because I, I got as much as I could done. I would love to try again. Yeah. The likelihood of you saying yes, pretty high. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you're right. I would. Um, you know, it's 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 probably right up in that category of what I would try. You know, probably work towards or work with within. Um, I think it's a matter of yeah. The expectations are you know from that degree. Uh, it's just really, it's about, you know, respect. I always been, and maybe we were always brought that, brought up that way. I find that there is no respect because there's none to be given. And, you know, it's a matter of, well, you need to earn respect, they always say, before you give it. But, you know, when you're in a position where you're going to be teaching or otherwise, there's just zero in many cases as it, as it is. Well, and, the idea of uh, um, assumed respect for those in authority. Right? Well, they got to where they are. I, I mean, yeah. my grandfather. Why? Right. Not just because I've seen him earn it, but because he's also my grandfather. Right. And so there should be a little bit that's almost intrinsic. You should respect your parents. Why? Because they're your parents. Right. Now, right. they also, as you grow, need to keep earning that respect, but you should at least give a little bit, right? This teacher, your boss, yeah. uh, the people that pay your salary. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I always found it interesting when um, 
I would have a staff uh, come over and say, um, I'm in university, I've got this course, I need this accommodation and that accommodation, and, uh, and the company's not being fair to me because they're not giving me the time off. And, I, and I, I would always think of going, okay, you pay your school. So they're, you know, you're their customer. Yeah. Yeah. We pay you. And you want the people who pay your salary to make an accommodation for the school you pay. Right. I think you need to invert this. And it's not that we won't accommodate, but there are some times where maybe you need to get your school to accommodate because why? You're their customer. They need your five grand. They need your 50 grand. They need your 100 grand, whatever program you're going to. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, I, don't, I don't like using words like entitlement, expectation. No. There is a certain level of entitlement that we all can get. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're young or old. I think this, the difference is when we're older, we get our sense of entitlement because we feel like we've earned something mm -hmm. already because yep. of based on previous things. Yeah. When we're young, we want that sense of entitlement because it was already given, it was always given to us. And when we were upset about it, we just got what we wanted. Right. I mean, that's why my son throws a temper tantrum when he can't bring a toy to school. <laughs> I mean, I have to be the father that either is, is today the day I'm a jerk or is today the day that I give in to my son. Yeah. I'll tell you, I give in way too often. Right, right, yes. <laughs> I'm really unforgiving with other people, but right. my God, my poor boy is going to inherit some real entitlement from me. Well, you and many, many other children will probably go through that. Absolutely. So, one of the last questions. If you could change the high school system, right? Yeah. What would you do to help kids leave high school, enter college and university or the workforce, and be more successful? What about the school system itself would you want to change? Well, I, I, I think we've lost, again, I, I think our school system has really lost on uh, responsibility on giving on to the, the, the students itself. And what I mean by that is everything we just talked about, you know, the last 10 minutes has been, you know, entitlement and accountability. And it's like, well, I'm late. It's not a big deal. We're going to push you through the system. I think there needs to be a higher failure rate. I think there's got to be literally, I, I would almost go back to say, uh, you know, the, gra the grading has to be harder. Uh, you know, if 50% is not a pass, you know, when my daughter gets 54 and goes, I did it. I'm like, no, you didn't. I mean, that was the worst example of you did it ever. That was, that was horrible. I mean, you survived. I mean, let them fail, let them fail. And I think as we use the beginning of this conversation, Adam, what drove you to be who you are today? Or what would be your biggest success? Whatever. All those questions have all been come from or all came from my failure. I wouldn't be who I am today with failure. I wouldn't be here because someone came and wrote me a check and said, oh, I heard you owe it 800 grand, Adam, so here's an $800,000 check and keep up the good work, you can do better, you made it. No, it was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sink and I'm drowning and I'm figuring out I either gotta learn how to swim uh, or I better take on water and call it a day. So the problem is with children, in my opinion, in high school, what could they do more of is get rid of the bell curve. Uh, that part really upsets me. I think we've lost the principles of what teaching in school is about. It's not just academic you learn. It's real life. Right. Life, we've lost the skill sets in. We've lost, uh, you know, when you're late, you get locked out. End of story. And you know what? I mean, right now they got this whole like your your daughter didn't show up for school thing, right? I mean, we we have these notification things. I mean, it's more than that. If you were three times not in class, you're thrown out of the class and you failed the class. 
We'll see you next time. You need the credit. Right. And maybe we're going to throw more into the streets because there's a bit of a uh, the, the, the liberal uh, you know, social mindset is, well, all you're doing is punishing a child for whatever they're going to say. I look at it completely it's the opposite. Uh, using your example earlier is we are still we're still nature's creatures. And we will, if thrown on an island and given a stick with a lion coming at us, we will not lay down and continue to be chewed. We will fight until we win or die trying in the process. Uh, and then when we do, we're going to eat that lion because we're hungry. Something that uh, stands out to me is um, our schools have zero tolerance policies towards things like bullying, um, physical violence, those things. And yet there's no zero tolerance towards lack of effort. Yes. And it's it stands to reason. I don't I don't mind. I think that it's it's probably a good thing that we don't have our kids being bullied in in school. I don't want you know, but but that also robs them of the ability to overcome bullying. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing to me that I'm going to say, Adam Oldfield, your daughter touched this person inappropriately. They're thrown out of school because she pulled the other girl's hair or she slapped this dude. Sorry, you're she's expelled or she's suspended. Right. Oh, but you know what? Um, she got like four D's in a row. So, you know, we'll just give her a pass. Yeah. What? Yeah. How did that set you up for success in life? And I, and I, I know, um, I used to tell all new hires and repeated it on my team. There's three things that you can do to piss me off as a manager. Uh, and I, I'm pretty forgiving on a lot of things. Number one, what we're in a call center, you know, <laughs> adhere to your schedule. Um, I would rather you be absent than come back late from your break continuously because when you're late from your break, someone's waiting for you on the phone and your peer who sits beside you had to work to cover your ass. That speaks about respect sideways mm -hmm. and to your customer. Pull your weight. Effort. I will, I will worship ethic, right? I can handle the fact that you didn't hit targets three months in a row as long as I have implicit trust that you tried every day. And there's no doubt in my mind that you tried. I have a lot of patience for skill. Mm -hmm. Will, I have zero. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece is ethics. Mm -hmm. you know, is do you understand that you have an ethical responsibility to earn the paycheck you were given, to earn the grade um, before you leave high school to college? Um, listen, you and know I was not the best student. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, may, I may very well have, yeah, the I only got. thing that maybe kept me in school was my buddies, girls, <laughs> and drama class, right? Yep. Um, but I'm so happy that when in, in grade two, I had to fail a grade and, and start right. over again. Yep. That's grade two. Yeah. Why? Because I wasn't ready for grade three. Right. Right? Yep. And it sent me back. Now, back in life, I look backwards and go, oh my God, I could have aced high school. Right. I was just a dumbass. Right. But... I still managed to do enough to get by and no one gave me an A because they didn't want to give me a D. They gave me a D if I needed a D and I failed classes and I took grade 10 math three times Right. I skipped too many classes. Right. Right? Yep. Um, and no one just passed me on to the next person so I could be their problem. Right. Um, and I think that this goes not just from high school into college and university but into the workforce. So when right. you get into big companies, oftentimes leaders who don't want to deal with X person will shuffle that person who's not a great employee off to the next role, sell them as if they were amazing, and then they fail miserably there, but there's right. someone else's problem. We didn't do them any favors. Right. We don't do anyone any favors by not letting them fail, but also being there to support them and help them back up to their feet when they fail and they want to get back up.
Yeah, I mean, you know what? People need to be self-motivated. I think that's part of it is that, you know what, everyone, and part of, I guess, going to the degree of like giving them coaching and mentoring and everything else is one thing. But, you know, I want to I tell you how to stand up. I don't want to lift you. Right. And, you know, I want to tell you, use your arms, stretch your legs, get up, and then start moving them back and forth the way you used to. Not, here, let me put this apparatus on you and move the strings and make you my puppet. So I find there's a lot of, uh, expectations of like, well, you need to give me the time. Like we use the example, you need to give me the time or I, I sort, you know, not even an apology in some cases. So, um, you know, and I have a zero tolerance. I think part of it is half the people that are not working here is exactly that. Uh, I have no qualms in firing anybody. Uh, in fact, it's a very simple conversation when they come in. It's like, listen, you know what? Uh, I haven't fired a person in 16 years. Everyone fired themselves. I just had to be the one to tell them. Right. And, you know, I, I it was very simple. I mean, like, uh, yeah. They do it well, they thank you. Yeah. It's crazy. It is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, going back to what, you know, what do we want to see more of and what we want to, I would rather not, I think we've got by with, I could just get by. No one's trying to tr to make it to that I can earn it on my own. And I think there's a lot more handouts. I, I look at that in a lot of ways is like, you know, uh, and maybe it's the wrong mindset, but I look at, you know, oh, I'm making minimum wage. I should be making more. Well, why? You know, and what are you doing to try and help yourself earn more? Yeah. And, you know, I look at this as in, in a lot of ways that if they, and maybe some people just can't do it. I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit and make a judgment because that's casting a big blanket over everybody that goes, well, I don't know what more I could do. I'm making that. I totally appreciate it. But don't come to me and say, uh, I, I should be making more. Yeah. Right. I deserve X. I deserve X. And, and I think there's a, a, a lot of opportunities for anyone to be able to take zero and make. I mean, there's a million stories like that. There isn't a successful story that's on the planet to this day, truthfully, from ground zero up that hasn't had their problems along the way. Right. And that's the part where I am. I fall into that group just like everybody else. That's that's, uh, you know, and you made the point of, you know, I would think that success uh, is, is cannot be met without failure. And if you, and if you say I'm successful, what failures have you had? Well, I haven't had any. Well, then you're never successful. <laughs> and on that note, I want to thank you for your time. I thank appreciate you. It. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. This has been great. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.